So, earlier this week, I called my daughter Ellie to come close to me, and I said to her, Ellie, my daughter, go clean your room. She goes, okay, Ellie, my daughter, go clean your room, okay, and, and then she walked off. So, you can imagine my surprise when later on that evening I went to go tuck her in and her room was still a mess. She hadn't made her bed, there were clothes all over the floor, there were old dishes on her dresser. I said, Ellie, what are you, I, I asked you to clean your room. What are you doing? And she said, yeah, that was a powerful message. <laughs> she said, I even wrote it down in my journal, take a look. So she opens up her journal and shows me where it's written. It says, Ellie, my daughter, go clean your room. And then she said, yeah. Dad, that was like, you really got my attention when you called me by name. And then when you called me daughter, oh, it just, it resonated with my heart. Like, actually, the whole message was really, really convicting, but in a good way. I was just like, what are you, that's, so I couldn't even think of words to say, so she just kept on going. She said, actually, Dad, you know, like, the message hit me in such a way that I felt inspired to even look it up in your language of origin, in Dutch. Here, listen. Ellie, mijn dochter, jij moet jouw kamer And then she said, now this is actually really interesting, Dad, because if you go back and you look at how it's, the word clean there, it wouldn't actually have been used. In fact, the word tidy is more proper. And this is important because I said, Ellie, stop, stop, stop. You're, you're missing the point. She said, okay, okay. We'll tell you what. I called a couple of my friends, about, told them about the message, and we decide that next week we're going to get together. We're going to talk about the words that you used, and we're going to also like dream together about what the world could look like if we cleaned our rooms. Now, as ridiculous and made up, <laughs> Ellie wanted me to add the word that it was made up. She's like, I don't want people to think this is true. I don't think they're going to, sweetheart. As made up as this story might be, we can treat the word of God this way. Now, the word of God can enter our hearts and we can get all excited about it and we can want to talk about it. But is that the point? Is that the goal of Scripture? Is that the goal of it? Or does Jesus want more for us? Jesus is actually pretty direct on this. In Luke 6.44, in the story of the man who built his house upon the rock, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If we are to call him Lord or Master, the purpose of that isn't just to ascribe to him a certain title. It actually involves doing something. It's more than just intentions. It's designed to lead toward action. If you're a visual person, I hope today's sermon and scripture really resonate with you, and I hope that it's relatable to you, because the passage that James has is loaded with illustration. And so, 
turn there if you haven't already. It's page 977 if you have a pew Bible. And we're going to continue in our sermon series on James called A Faith That Works. I've been really enjoying this. I hope that you guys are too. It's just wonderful to look at James, who's like a, a very logical person. He's a no-nonsense person, and he just, he gets at the things. And I've been really enjoying unpacking it, so let's continue to unpack it. Father God, we, as we, as we open our, as we open up your word, God, we pray that you speak to us, Lord. God, we pray that you speak to our hearts, God, that you illuminate your truth within our lives. And God, more than anything that I have to say or anything that James has to say even, God, we pray that you, you speak to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in James 1, and our passage today starts in verse 21, but it begins with the word, therefore. It's one of our favorite words, but every time we see the word, therefore, we have to ask, what is it there for? So, let's start in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Check this out here. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, today's passage. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So the word therefore in verse 18 points that he chose to, points to these words that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he, have, he has created. We have received new birth. We have received new life in Christ and a new nature and that being the spirit of Christ. This is a gift from God and it comes through the word of truth. This is what James is saying here, and it's really affirming when the Bible says something in a different way, by a different person, in a different context, and so in so affirming itself. And we see that in Peter. Now that you have purified yourself, obeying the truth that you have Sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like 
grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we see both in James and in Peter that we receive new life in Christ. Now, this new life that we received has been graciously given to us by God, and it's spiritual life. It's not a physical life, and it comes by the imperishable and enduring word of God, and this is intended to change us. Peter suggests that we taste and see that the Lord is good, and that like babies, we should crave it like pure spiritual milk. James uses different imagery. James uses the imagery of clothes. And so what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about this new life in Christ that we have received, and we're going to be relating it to clothing. And we're going to be seeing how this has been worked in through the Bible, because maybe you're wondering why I'm wearing work clothes. Why do I have a bungee cord as a belt? If you're wondering these questions, you're wondering good things. And I'm wearing it to preach of all places. James, in the scripture that we read, advises us to get rid of moral filth. The NIV translates it gets rid of. Other translations make it take off, as to take off the moral filth. And this is a suggesting of taking off of clothes. The implication that he is giving here is that you are now above the clothes that you were wearing. They're no longer fitting for you. They're suggested to be clothes of a poor person, clothing of poverty. And since we have received new life, and since we are now, as Peter says, a royal priesthood, we are above such clothes. We know that the clothes that we can wear, that we are wearing, can impact what we do and how we feel. For me, this was really obvious near the beginning of the pandemic. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was working from home. A lot, pretty much everyone was working from home, and we we're finally allowed to wear pajamas to work. We we're allowed to work in front of our computer at our house in our pajamas. We we're allowed to do school in our pajamas. And, and this is a great thing, isn't it? No, it was a terrible thing. Because when we wear pajamas, it reminds us of turning off. It reminds us of being lazy. It reminds us of watching movies or going to bed. Good things. Those are fine things. They're fine in their place, but they are not connected with productivity. And so what you're wearing makes a difference there. For me, when I, so my love, my great love, outside of family and Jesus, which Jesus is first, but my love outside of that is dirt biking. And every single time I put my dirt bike gear on, my, my heart starts pumping. I get these butterflies in my stomach. I just get so excited every single time because I know what I'm about to do. It starts preparing me for what's coming next. And I would assume it's similar to that with hockey equipment. 
Yes? Nods? I'm getting nods? Okay. It's similar to that with hockey equipment. You, you just you get excited because what you're wearing affects what you do. And ladies, I assume this is similar to you when maybe you're going on a fancy date or maybe you're going to a wedding and you're wearing this nice dress and you spend a little time, you get your nails did, you do your hair and you wear your nicer jewelry and you just, you feel more beautiful. You feel more elegant. You start holding your chin a little higher. Earlier this week, uh, on an outreach, I was going into an environment that, I will admit, made me quite nervous. Uh, I, w- I was scared to go into this environment. And so as I'm walking into it, I begin to dress myself in the armor of God. I begin to ready myself in this. The point is that what we are wearing affects how we view ourselves. It affects the way that we feel, which ultimately affects our actions. And if this is true, then James is right to instruct us to take off such moral filth. And this is strong language that James is using here, but it is He's trying to show us the gruesome nature of sin. It should remind us of what Jesus said. We talked months and months ago about the story of Lazarus. And in that story, in John 11:44, Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes. He says to those around Lazarus, sorry, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, since these grave clothes were unfitting for Lazarus, he should remove them. Now, this might seem unnecessary. Obviously, they're going to take off the grave clothes. But Jesus is never wasteful, not in anything he does, not in anything that he says. These clothes signify death, whereas Lazarus was now alive again. So these clothes were unfitting. It would be equally as unfitting if we who have received new life in Christ, we who are a part of a royal priesthood, if we continued to dress ourselves in moral filth. James instructs that we remove these. So since the shirt is quite dirty, I should remove it. I'm wearing shorts, just everyone. Don't get scared. (laughs) Since these work pants are terrible, we should remove them. Okay. So this isn't a lot better, is it? I don't I don't feel better right now. Walk back over here. This can't be God's final intent for me, can it? This can't be God's final desire for me. How many of you remember when I brought up this book? At the very beginning of my time here, I brought up the book, The Priest of the Dirty Clothes. Now, if you don't remember what this book is about, come and talk to me about it afterwards. I love the ideas and the concepts in this book. But it comes from, the idea comes from an Old Testament prophet, Zechariah. And in Zechariah 3.14, he says something like this. 
Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. So that's where we're at. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Here we see that the intention of God is to remove the filthy clothes, but it's not only that, it's to replace them with fine garments. And if we can humbly accept these fine garments, as James writes, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you, the idea of dressing yourself in righteous apparel is not only alluded to here in the book of James. There are several other references to it in the New Testament, and today we're going to look at three of them. The first one we're going to look at is in Romans 13, 12. It says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, similar to James, Paul instructs us to put aside the things of darkness because they are misfitting for us. Instead, Paul encourages us to put on the armor of light. And how encouraging is this phrasing, eh? It's armor, so it's going to protect us from any evil attack coming our way. And since it's armor of light, we know that it is holy. What do we know about light? The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness only exists to the extent that light is absent. And where light is present, there is no competition. Light wins. Next one we're going to look at is Ephesians 4.20. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." I love that Paul reminds his readers that that is not who they truly are. And we've been taught in regard to the old self to take off the old self with its corrupted and evil desires. But not just that. It's also to replace these clothes. If you remember, our clothes are a significant part of our outward appearance. Our clothes influence how we view ourselves, and they even influence our actions in that way. And so I would never go dirt biking, or I would never do gardening in wedding clothes. I wouldn't go up to preach in work clothes, never, under no circumstances. Then Paul instructs us to put on the new self, 
which is created to be like God. So this, is, this, this phrasing is absolutely extraordinary. I want us to write this verse down or something. We, we need to understand this because this is such a wild concept that the Bible puts forward. Paul instructs us to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How many of us even, you don't have to put your hand up, but how many of us even knew that was available to us? This is what the Bible is saying is available to us. That is, that is so, so wild. So in the same way that I wouldn't want to go dirt biking in wedding clothes, we, we avoid certain things. So the clothes that we're wearing can make us want to avoid certain things. And we want to avoid sin and live into holiness when we recognize what we're wearing. So this can lead us to avoiding, and this can also lead us to action. In the same way that if you're wearing hockey equipment, you just want to go out and play hockey. Because what you're wearing affects your actions. So it can make us want to avoid, and it can lead us toward action. Last scripture about clothing we're going to look at, we're going to look at way more scriptures, is from Colossians 1. This is the one that we just read recently. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the, in knowledge in the image of its creator." There is so much good stuff in there that I'd love to unpack, but we're just going to look at verses 9 and 10. I'm going to look at, I'm going to read them again because they're so good. So it says, do not lie to each other. Now, this comes after a fairly large list of don'ts. So we could sub in that word lie for any one of the things that we might struggle with in our lives. So don't, don't do those things since you have taken off your old self with its practices. and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now there are a lot of similar similarities between this and the Ephesians pa- passage, but I just want to focus on these two words, being renewed. One thing I know about clothing is that we all vary in size and shape. And if you look at my friend Josh and I, we may have similar size torsos, and so we could probably share a t-shirt or something like that, but there's no way that we could wear the same dress shirt because my arms are so much longer than his. It's actually, if you can imagine with my frame, it's actually very hard to find long sleeve shirts or pants that fit me 
like period. I have to pretty much get custom-made clothes because of the lankiness of my limbs. Now, when Paul says that it's being renewed, what he means in this context is that it's being custom fit for you. And as you continue to wear them, they continue to fit you better and better. Maybe you've had this with jeans. You put on jeans in the morning and they fit you properly, but then throughout the day, they kind of get worn out and stretched out and then they don't fit you properly anymore. And all of a sudden, they feel loose at the end of the day. Well, this, this doesn't happen with, with when we put on Christ. It actually fits us better as the day goes on. It actually fits us better as the day turns into months, turns into years. It continually fits us better. It's similar to a good pair of Birkenstocks, but, but even better. This also connects with our soul. Our soul has been defined as mind, will, and emotions. And as we put on the new self, I'm not sure that the clothes conform to us as much as we conform to the clothes. I think this is the renewing of the mind that they're talking about in Romans 12 too. Because here's the thing. Each of us is unique. Each one of us is different in our own special way. The surprising thing to me is that as you become more like Christ, you don't become less like yourself. You actually become a more clear vision or version of yourself. John Ortberg says that you become you-ier. It's, you be, when you become a more trim version of yourself. Now, good chefs, good artists, they, they know this, but sometimes less is more. And if you're trying to make a soup. You don't put all of the spices in. If it tastes like everything, it's going to taste terrible. If you're tr making a painting, you don't put all of the colors in because it will distract from the intended purpose of the painting. So when we remove what was not intended to be there, and we focus on and we replace it with God's original intent, that is how you create a masterpiece. So verse 21 that we've been talking about is, therefore rid yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And so, so far we've talked about removing the moral filth or taking off the moral filth and presently, we're talking about humbly accepting the word planted in you. So, let's do that. These clothes are okay, but they're meant to represent Christ's righteousness. They're meant to represent clothes that are without blemish, without fault. They're meant to represent clothes that are perfect. I love that James uses the term, oh, gotta remember the belt of truth. That's fine, let's just mention it. James uses the term planted here. He says the word that was planted in you. And 
I love that he does that because logic would dictate that if something is planted in you, it's going to take some time. And this is really important because spiritual growth is rarely immediate. It can take sometimes years before you see things really make a difference in our lives. And we all can deal with comparison. And when we deal with comparison, we can look at other people and they're walking with the Lord this closely. And sometimes we can be discouraging. We're like, why isn't my walk with the Lord that intimate? Sometimes we can look at how people are living in freedom of certain things. You're like, well, why am I not living in freedom of this? And so when we do this, we can actually discredit our own spiritual growth. But I encourage you to look back at your own life. Are you closer to God now than you were five years ago? Look at the things that you're struggling with. Are you struggling with the same things as you were five years ago? Maybe with whatever your main struggle is. Even if you're still struggling with it, have you seen growth? Have you seen progress in other areas of your life? What the devil wants to do is he wants you to put your focus on failures, insecurities, and shortcomings. Whereas God wants you to be able to focus on your progress, that you are progressing. And if we can humbly accept this word of righteousness and holiness that is planted in us, and we can focus on growth and progress, that word can save us. Can save us. It's important to understand who James is talking to here. Is he talking to unbelievers? Is he talking to those outside of the church so that they can accept it and believe it? Believe it or not, he's actually talking to believers talking to believers in this context, meaning that you can't just get rid of the word of God after you've received it. Salvation is a final destination, not just a prayer that you pray. Now, the next couple of verses we'll, we'll touch on briefly in verse 22 of James 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here James presents several different opportunities that we can enter into. The first one is hearing. When we hear the word of God, it can resonate within us. That's a good thing. The next opportunity comes to doing. Here James talks about doing a lot, but this is where the rubber hits the road. Maybe you notice in this paragraph, but it says it actually begins with the word do and ends with the word do and includes do several times. He's all about doing. James also indicates that there is a deception that can take place in the hearts of believers. And those who fall into this deception can find themselves in a dangerous place. And we do see this a lot, especially in our modern, comfortable church environment. And if we show up at church and we listen to the songs, we listen to the prayers, we listen to the sermon, we can think that that is checking the boxes. And if we think that that's what spirituality is, we're fooling ourselves. 
This is not what Christ paid for. Jesus didn't pay the ultimate price so that we could say a prayer and sit in a pew. And when I say this, I, I don't mean this with any judgment. I was this person for the first three quarters of my life. What I am trying to say is that God has so much more for you. I've also said this several times throughout our series on James, but following Jesus looks like something. It's got to. If we can humbly accept the seed planted in us, it grows into something beautiful. And if we can accept that, if we can allow that to grow, if we can nurture it and feed it and love it and care for it, we get to experience more of what God has for us. And James goes on to say in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. There's a lot more that I could say about the mirror. I actually want to do an entire sermon on this mirror later on. But here's the thing, is that when we look at this mirror, we see who we truly are. This is the word that was planted in us. This shows us who we are. This shows us who God is. And we are also able to realize more about who we are in realizing who God is. And once we do that, we can't just simply walk away. Receiving information is great, but our aim is always that information would lead to transformation. And when you look intently into this perfect law and we remain in it, not forgetting, but doing, you'll notice a few things. You'll recognize if you're wearing the old self. And if you are, take it off. That's not who you are anymore. And so what does this look like? Maybe this looks like praying. And maybe it looks like, God, I thank you that you have made me new in Christ Jesus and that these old patterns, these aren't who I truly am. God, I break any agreement that I have with any of these old ways of life. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is, this is removing everything that is not in line with God's purpose for our lives. And when you look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and you remain in it, not forgetting, but doing, you will realize that you are wearing armor of light. You will understand that you are protected and loved by the Spirit of God, no less. You'll realize that you have weapons to fight the principalities of darkness. Now, what this could look like is mentally dressing yourself in the armor of God, as I did earlier this week. Maybe it looks like reciting Psalm 23 to yourself, as I did earlier this week. <laughs> but there's a comfort that comes when you do. When you look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and you remain in it, not forgetting, but doing, you'll realize that you're wearing fancy clothes. 
these clothes are without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. They are the nature of God and the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. When you wear these, by reminding yourselves of who you truly are, you will naturally have your desires change and you will naturally avoid certain things and act in other ways. You'll act out in obedience to Christ. And what happens then is that it will resonate within you because when we act in line with who God has made it to be, it is so deeply satisfying. It's because we're living into our purpose. We're all unique, and for each one of us, this is going to look a little bit different. But the one thing I know is that obedience to Christ makes you you ear. So let's conclude with the made-up story that we began with of Ellie supposing to clean her room. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable anywhere. That's not acceptable in the church. Again, our aim as preachers, teachers, musicians, and all is that information would lead to transformation. It's not enough to know what clean your room is in Dutch or Hebrew or Greek. We actually want your room to be clean. <laughs> I hope this is encouraging. I hope that you, like, when you hear this, you think that it's actually attainable, especially if your goal is progression over perfection. God is at work in your life. And if you can humbly accept what he is doing and how he has made you to be, you will be continually transformed. This is attainable because the word that has been planted in you, it doesn't grow by striving. It grows by abiding. And in the same way, Christ's holiness will perpetually grow in your life as you abide in him. So my friends, let's not merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. Let's do what it says. Father God, we thank you for your word, for this word that has been planted within us. God, we're, we're grateful that you are at work in our lives, that you care for us, that you know us. God, we thank you for the transformation that has been taking place in our lives. God, let's not get distracted or feel defeated with any shortcomings that the enemy might want to shove our nose into. Let's be encouraged by what you are doing. God, my prayer is that we may be continually transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that we could continue to dress ourselves in your righteousness, that these clothes would be renewed and would be custom fit to us day by day, month by month, year by year. God, thank you for the endurance that comes from you. And God, we pray all this in your name. Amen.